You're listening to The Remix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. I hear from so many people that have dealt with a loss during their infertility journey. And so this podcast is about infertility in general, as well as growing your family in different ways. And so this episode is really important because one aspect that keeps coming up over and over with regard to infertility is grief. And grieving is not just one loss. It's not traditional grief. It's multiple losses within the infertility process over periods of months and even years. And so it becomes this complicated grief that's really hard to put into words. And so today we're talking about what do you do with that? What do you do when you're grieving? And you know, we kind of want to rush the process. We want to get through it. We want to do what we have to do to fix it, but grief really doesn't work that way. So Today, we're going to talk about art, and you're going to meet Angela, and she is going to explain the project that she got involved in after her own miscarriage. And, you know, this can apply to all losses that a person might experience, whether it's miscarriage or infant loss or even late-term pregnancy loss. I hope you enjoy today's show. My husband and I are like, let's, you know, let's move back to Colorado and start a family. So we made the move and I thought, you know, I could do both of those things. I'd have more space because life in New York is crazy and <laughs> work is constant and, you know, finding yeah. a studio space and, and juggling my full-time job, all that stuff was intense. So oh, I can't imagine it was, I mean, it was a blast, but it was also intense. Yeah. So we, we thought, you know, this will make more space and he's an artist as well. So we thought we could have more time for that. And and we start we started trying for a family uh, pretty quickly, and then uh, pretty quickly uh, started having miscarriages. Mm. And so then we sought an RE's expertise. Mm. And this is always hard to talk about, even though I've talked about it a million times. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I, I understand. I know, yeah. I know you do. Mm-hmm. But we we sought um, help from an RE and did a million tests, and ended up doing IUI and IVF and all of the acronyms of infertility. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. had two more miscarriages and Goodness. we just couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was going on. It was, you know, we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which no. is. Yeah. That's the hardest one to deal with. Yeah. So we just, I realized late in the process that I was grieving because I would have never called that grief mm-hmm. for myself. Mm-hmm. I just always felt like that was for other people who are experiencing way worse things than I did. Okay. And when I realized that I was grieving, I, I realized I had art as a tool to process it and sort of work through it. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that and I, I ended up taking a class where I could just go and do like an open studio thing. And I didn't have to talk to anybody I didn't have to know what I was going to create. I could just show up and paint and paint what I was experiencing and painting my, paint mm-hmm. my feelings. And that was, mm-hmm. that saved me. I mean, oh, yeah. sounds dramatic, but I just truly can't, you know. I can completely relate to that. I remember going through a period, I lost three, I'd never lost anyone close to me. And I lost three people in the same week oh. in seven days. Wow. Our best friend, my uncle and my grandpa. Oh, I'm so sorry. So I got thrown into complex grief, complicated grief, mm. which is what you're describing as well. Cause infertility losses like you've experienced. 
That is, that's complicated grief. How many miscarriages did you end up having total? Uh, we had four miscarriages. Oh, I'm so sorry. Four is it's just, you know, one is devastating. And then to have to re-experience in that, yeah, I think that you you found a place that, and, and I think this is so great for for others to to realize how powerful art can be. I, I did the same thing and I'm not a painter and I'm not as talented. I'm not talented like you are, but I just started painting and it was weird. It. it just kind of came out of me and I just started doing it. And it was very therapeutic. It was absolutely very therapeutic oh, thing I to do. It. So that's a great, I love that this is coming up and, and we can show others that it is such a, such an amazing tool to help you get through and deal with grief. Yeah. You know, when you come to counseling or you could talk to somebody about grief, it's so intangible. Yeah. You know, we have yeah. techniques and, and we have methods that we use for lots of different other complicated, you know, issues and challenges in life from anxiety to depression and, mm-hmm. you know, but grief, grief is like, and it's, it's like in a different category by itself. Yeah. It's almost, it's just, it is, it's kind of intangible. And so to have these tools, these ways that you can use, that you can express your grief mm-hmm. when you don't have the words. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. That's what you what you did. Yeah, yeah. It was mm-hmm. so helpful for that for that very reason, right? It's such an intangible thing, and then you're creating something tangible out of it that you mm-hmm. still can't explain or articulate. But there's like mm-hmm. another level of communication that's happening there that that we have access to, and we don't have to explain it. That's right. And, that's right. Oh, so helpful. It's powerful. It really, really is. It made me realize how isolating it can all be, right? And how we isolate ourselves because of so many things like the stigma and so many complicated reasons why that happens, I think. But, and I'm sure that you could speak quite a bit on that. (laughs) I'm sure you heard so many sides of it, but. You know, when you, when you first said that I felt like I, when I realized I was grieving, but I felt like I didn't have as much to grieve over as some of the, you know, these other losses in our society. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I'd like to speak to that for a minute because what's really interesting about that is that infertility grief is a very profound grief and it is deep and it is, we are talking about life and death stuff. You know, you, you, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to, you know, make this hard for you, mm-hmm. but you literally had life and death happened within you four times. Yeah. I mean, again, not trying to be dramatic, but just to remind people out there that, you know, we think, oh, it's a miscarriage. It's a period. It's a misperiod. It's a, it's a procedure that didn't go right. No, we're actually talking about life. Uh-huh. So it is profound and it is something that is grief. And when we have other losses, like I recently lost my mom in yeah. June, Sorry. but this, yeah, and the support was incredible. Uh-huh. Like, it, it was the most healing thing to have people reach out and, and support me through that. Oh, it, it made yeah. all the difference in the world. But talk, talk about a contrast mm. to when I went through infertility. There was, really? I didn't have any support, oh, no support. Yeah. yeah. And so it, because, so what it is, is it's grieving without support. There's, there's not these formal rituals yeah. or society hasn't developed them yet to tend to somebody who has infertility loss and grief. Yeah. And so that's why it's so isolating and lonely is because you're feeling as, sad and, and emotionally distressed a lot of times as somebody who has lost a dear loved one, yep. but you don't, it's not recognized by those around you. And you're expected just to keep going on with work and life and everything you're doing. As Yeah, absolutely. There's so, so many things there. I think that's one of the major reasons I connected with your work too, is I feel like there is such a lack of support for that. And I developed a, a, an additional passion through this to help support other people through art and 
create paintings for them based on their story just to be like mm -hmm. with the software part just noticing that people just really want to be heard mm -hmm. and oh, that's awesome and it's um it's so it's so cool just to watch people like that that shift happen too when they they just have space to talk about it Mm -hmm. and you know healing for me too ironically just to be able to connect with other people who've been through through similar experiences mm -hmm. and I was listening recently to have you do you listen to on being with Krista Tippett I don't oh. uh, it's this awesome podcast she did an interview with Pauline Boss is that okay sound familiar it doesn't she no. wrote ambiguous loss that book I think she actually coined that okay. term too Ambiguous loss. Yes, I actually have heard of that term recently. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was so insightful to me, their conversation, because they're talking about, I think the, the title of the podcast is called The Myth of Closure. Mm -hmm. And she's talking about how there are all of these types of ambiguous loss. Mm -hmm. I don't think they mentioned infertility, but infertility seemed to really relate to oh, yeah. because there, there's no, there's no closure. And there's no, there's no like tangible thing to say. This is, this is the funeral. Here is like, here is where we come to grieve. It's like this mm -hmm. thing, like to your point, we're just sort of living with and, and, you know, forcing ourselves to continue our lives and, and power mm -hmm. through things. And it's very, it's very painful. It's like the same of someone going through caregiving for someone who has Alzheimer's or someone who's like a missing person in their family, all those things are considered ambiguous loss and they're not treated as grief because we don't recognize them in the same way, mm -hmm. but we miss Absolutely. all these opportunities to connect with each other and help each other sort of support each other. Like you said with your mom, how you found that profound mm -hmm. sense of support in mm -hmm. such a different way. Yeah. And it was more so after she had passed and less so during the process of her passing, which was a year of cancer. And, oh, wow. and that's when I experienced the ambiguous loss because we were losing her and that's your, I was already grieving. So I've also heard it called anticipatory grief. Oh, yeah. And so I was experiencing that a lot of anticipatory grief. I like that. So, yeah. And tell me more about your, but tell me more about your program that, that people, can people use this? Can people kind of use it to help express their grief or? Yeah. So I, I've been, it's been growing in lots of different ways. So what I, I first started doing, I actually made the jump from my software design job because I was like, I have to do that. I have to focus on this. Mm -hmm. I was so passionate about it. And so I thought, you know, I'd, I'd first start by creating commissions for people and just interview them and sit with them and hear their story and then develop a painting somewhat collaboratively. I mean, I'm doing the painting, but I always include text in my paintings. Words from the conversation that we've had always make their way sort of ambiguously into the abstract painting. Yeah. So that's what I started doing and I still do that. But then I also decided to start this 100 day project, mm -hmm. which is now more of a hundred story project. Mm -hmm. It's one single big painting that so far, 73 people have contributed their story to if they've been through infertility or pregnancy loss of any kind, mm -hmm. they submit their story through my site or, you know, in person or in DMs sometimes. And then mm -hmm. I post their story with an addition to the painting. And then at the end of a hundred stories, I'll be cutting the painting into a hundred pieces and sending it to the people who've contributed. Oh, wow. Well, how will you cut it? Is it 
it won't be a whole piece anymore? Or no, will it, be... it will be a hundred tiny abstract paintings. <laughs> okay. Wow. But the, will each painting be a combination of, of all of the different pieces of art? Yeah. Or will the, all, they will be. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically, it's, I'm creating one big composition. And then every time someone tells me their story, I add to that composition in some way. Okay. So okay. they'll have, when they get their, their piece of the painting, they'll have in an abstract way, a collection of all of these people's stories sort of layered in. Oh, wow. Wow. And That's amazing. My goal is for them to feel that connection and feel supported and not feel yeah. alone. You are. Yeah. That's amazing. I, you know, I, if you could see me, I, I have a big smile on my face as you were talking, because as you were telling the story of how you're patching this together, all these different stories, I couldn't help but think of the network of, you know, of basically of how kind of women work and women, we really tend and befriend and we really reach out to each other and we need to network and share our stories. And that um, you can kind of think of, of women's collaboration and communication as, um, as a, more like a, uh, instead of a linear or a hierarchy of communication, top down or bottom up, it's, it's more of a, a patchwork a network that like almost like a, you know, one of my colleagues talks about like a, in a sense of a quilt mm. that we all sew together wow. and that, yeah. And so it's not like someone's at the bottom and then we feed the person at the top. It's at, actually that we're all coming together as a community. Wow. And when you're saying that, I was thinking of that, of this network that, and how, what women do to, to really heal, help each other heal. Uh. And uh, yeah. And, and how, how awesome that is. And um, and then I was also just thinking about, you know, having a piece of that story, again, like, like that depth and that picture that we can't use words to describe very well sometimes, but we know we can see it and our mind gets it, mm -hmm. how, how healing that can be, knowing that there's 70, 100 people behind this story that are there walking with you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's my main goal with it. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been, it's so many things have struck me through those 73 stories so far too. I mean, there are people from all over the world have contributed. That's one mm -hmm. thing that was shocking to That's me. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is men started contributing as well. And nice. people with all nice. different sides of, um, you know, infertility of loss of you know, stillbirth of mm. kids. Like the last one I, I did was, um, this woman sent me a painting that her four and a half year old daughter made uh, for her mom after they found out that she had had a miscarriage at 10 weeks and lost through the eyes of this little four and a half year old girl oh, wow. and how, you know, there's so many rippling effects to it that we have the opportunity to honor that I think are going quiet in so many ways. And mm -hmm. having my own experience was so different than I realized, you know, infertility is not just infertility. It, it looks so many different ways for so many different people. Oh my gosh, it does. And that's, it's been amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so touching um, because you're right. Like it affects her four-year-old little daughter and it affects in the stories, you know, you, there may be people out there that have heard their stories of their mom's miscarriage or mm -hmm. a stillbirth or even a baby that was lost to SIDS and that they, those stories go on for generations. You know, I remember we have, I have a cousin who was born before me, but um, passed away from SIDS. And wow. um, we talk about her to this day. Mm. I mean, she's not forgotten. And, and even though I never knew her, I never saw her. Mm. 
our, our family still has been touched by that. And so that, that's what came to mind is, is just even that type of how it affects so many people. You're right. The ripple effect is the best way to describe it. It's, it's brings a tear to my eye. Really. It's, it kind of makes me emotional to think about it, but yeah, it's, it's amazing that your family's talking about that too and honoring her. That's somewhat rare mm-hmm. too, right? For families to really make space for each other and for the memory of mm-hmm. a baby. Yeah, she had a profound effect on my family. I know for sure because people talked to people, my aunts have talked about her, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So that's just, oh, wow. This is a, this is a great episode. This is, you know, I'm getting all emotional and deep and it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) So, yeah. So I love that. I love that, uh, that this conversation, you know, took, is this, is taking this direction that you you have so many different complex, you know, rich, varied stories that can be told and, you know, outlets and tools and, ways that we can help each other. And so that's, that's the goal of this podcast is for us to help be able to help others. And that's what it's all about. So I love that you're doing that and that your work is doing that. And if people want to find out how they can contribute or how they can get involved, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, I have a spot on my site for the hundred day project. It's angelacravenart.com backslash 100 day project. Yeah. And so, and is there anything that if you were to, to kind of give a, some piece of advice or just, you know, any kind of, you know, would you maybe if you had one takeaway, which is, I know that's a really tough question to ask and it's hard to answer. <laughs> There's not one thing usually, but what comes to top of mind that, that you would share mm. with, um, with others that out of going through this process yourself and, and experiencing the loss? One thing that I'm passionate about within all of this is just the the grief element to make space for your grief. You know, mm-hmm. I've been doing some workshops mm-hmm. too, and and I'm working on an online class for you know to walk people through my commission process so they can make their own painting and honor their own experience and and grief through that. And I feel like there are so many ways to do that. Like you said, I tried something that I've been passionate about a long time ago that I didn't realize was a tool for me (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. or that I've been passionate about for a long time. And I tie that to being able to express and process my grief. And I think we all have access to Mm -hmm. something like that, like whether it's art or whether it's, you know, something that's inherent to our, our just like our, our own unique nature and strengths that we forget in this process, because I feel like infertility and loss takes so much away from you that you Mm -hmm. almost like you have to redefine yourself and and understand who you are and understand there's so many you know complexities to it but I I think that we all have some tool that's already sort of built inside of us to seek that way of processing our grief and I think Mm. that you know once we can access that and once we can make space for others to access that using whatever that gift is I think that we're going to sort of create more empathy and reduce the stigma and, you know, increase the awareness of, of all of these things. And, and I think honestly, that can be some of the hardest parts of it is, is just that isolation and managing it alone. And, you know, like you said, having that quilt of people around Mm -hmm. you is, is so important Mm -hmm. and it helps just like navigate it 
So, you know, once I was able to connect with other people and hear their story and talk about my story and process my grief, not only with that tool, but also with other people, I feel like I'm, you know, it's still a work in progress. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I can almost like, as you were speaking, I can almost see the future in your words of a a place where infertility is accepted Mm -hmm. as a very challenging, distressful, Mm -hmm. distressing, distressing time. And that people even maybe get paid some, some paid leave. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they get some, uh, added sick days or things that work, you know, I, I really, I really do. Yeah. I can see it through as you speak and, and because I can see this changing and, you know, I, another thing I thought of as you're t- talking is that when, um, my mom was in hospice and we brought her home and we had her home for about not, it seemed like an eternity, but it was probably three or four days. And, um, when hospice showed up, they brought us a quilt and the quilts was made by nuns and each they had wow. patched together, you know, this, it was a beautiful quilt quilt and they had prayed over each square Wow! and they laid that quilt on my mom as she was passing. Wow. And I mean, imagine if we could have this metaphor quilt, metaphorical quilt, like you're making with this painting where we can wrap that around each other, you know, where we can support each other. And, um, you know, and, and wrap people up that are going through infertility with that quilt. And, you know, like, again, not a lot of words sometimes to say, you know, and, and sometimes when we try to say words, we really, we make it worse. You know, there's yeah. a lot on the internet and social media about don't say this and don't say that. And then it's kind of hard. Well, what do you yeah. say? Well, you know what? Sometimes you just can't say anything. Yeah. They just wrap them up in a quilt, you know, and hold them. So, yeah. 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 So I love that. Yeah. I think that to what you've done as far as, um, you know, recognizing that like the donor conversation and and recognizing grief and, you know, infertility and thinking that biological children are the only route for, you know, some people, you know, Mm -hmm. normalizing all of these conversations Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful part of that quilt too. And I, Mm-hmm. And I, I love that more and more people are talking about it and being open and honest about things that are so private and difficult. And, mm-hmm. you know, just even just you talking about that difference between privacy and vulnerability too, how you can, mm-hmm. how you can mm-hmm. still hold things private, but how you can, um, you can also be open and, and elevate the conversation and everyone's experience within your family by being mm-hmm. open about it. I think all those things are, are making a huge difference. I feel like we're in a pretty magical time in that way. <laughs> no, good. Me too. Me too. And, you know, I, it's true that you can have just really vulnerable conversations in the, in the safety of your nuclear family, mm-hmm. you know, with your daughter, your son, with your, your husband or your spouse or your partner. And, and you can have those conversations that they're sacred, really. And, and you can say, you know, and, and your kids can come to know that, that this is something we share with each other because we trust and this is a safe place. But we may not, that doesn't mean we, we may not feel comfortable going around and saying it to other people. But this, when we come back to our tribe, mm-hmm. this is where we're safe and we can, we can talk about this here and it's totally okay your community or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is for you, small or big, that's, it's, it's all big stuff. It's all, it all makes a huge impact at the end of the day, you know? Uh, uh, I love it. (laughs) I so agree. Yeah. And so it's just helping people find those lines that they're gray. They're not as so black and white. Mm. 
and you know, there's just a lot more gray and, and trying to figure out how to, how to work within that space. And um, again, it's hard sometimes to describe and explain it. And that's why I thought, you know, maybe a podcast would be even better yeah. than posts, posts <laughs> on Instagram that are just flat words, you know, like two dimensional words that have no, you know, there's no inflection or emotion or, you know, depth behind it. It's, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. And I love doing it, but I like when I listen to podcasts, I just, I get lost in them. Me too. So I thought, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to yeah. do it. So, yeah. And you know, this is kind of more of a practical question, but I'm, I kind of like to, I like, I'm a how to kind of person. So what if somebody that's listening right now is like, you know, this is really resonating with me. I'm feeling a lot of things and I really think I want to go out and I've never painted a day in my life, but I might want to try this. What practically, what would you recommend? What do they buy? What, where should they, you know, where should they start? What's the easiest medium to work with? And you know, you always hear people say, oh, I'm not creative at all. But I agree with you that everyone is creative. Yes. Oh, everyone. So 100%. Yeah. I think we, a lot of us leave it behind as kids and think that's like, yeah. that's where creativity stops. But yeah, then we are mm-hmm. all creative. And that's such a tool that we can all access, like we were talking about earlier. But one really easy thing to do, I think, is a lot of art stores and just like at Target or, you know, big box stores, you can buy just a tiny, set of watercolors mm-hmm. and some watercolor paper, just do it on, you know, print paper that you have it <laughs> with your computer at okay. home. Yeah. And, yeah. and just like be a kid with it. Don't try to make anything and like get out of, you know, try to get out of that perfectionist. Like, what am I going to create this big, scary, open piece of paper and just like play with the paintbrush, just like play with mixing with colors and using the paintbrush on its side or scraping through the paint with the backside of the paintbrush or just kind of explore with it because there's Mm. something magical and just the tangible experience of making something Mm -hmm. with your hands. If we allow ourselves the permission to create that access is like a deeper level. It's almost like a mindfulness process. Absolutely. And, and that's all it takes. I mean, you could do that with a, like a kid's set of watercolors and some printer paper. And I think if you, if you give yourself permission just to make something really ugly, <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like just to do it and explore the tool. I think it, I think people could get a lot out of that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that advice. I, my mind immediately goes to, I don't know, for some reason, I was that kid that um, just drenched the paint in water. You know, I got like way too much on it. And then I would put it on the page and then it would be like mostly like this. <laughs> runny, blurry mess of not really depth, you know, no, no rich color on the page. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just see this, I see my painting. And so listen, if your painting looks like that, yeah. out there, that's okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just watering it down, but that's, yeah, that's a great place to start. So just, you know, do that. And, and it's not, you know, people go, Oh my gosh, I don't have time for that. I just, I am so busy. And I, you know, but make space. That's how you carve out that space. And that space is not unproductive. For those of you out there that I need to be productive, trust me, this is the most productive thing you can do for your brain. If you'd like to be part of Angela's art project, you can go to AngelaCravenArt.com. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC 
And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.